That was great. Dude, death is never going to hold me. Oh, man, I'm feeling a little bit better today in case y'all didn't notice. Man, I can walk around like a normal human. Man, let's give it up. Thank you guys for all your prayers. For anybody that's hurting in the audience this morning because you're getting old, I, I apologize for my spryness up here today. Um, we started a series last week called The Giver, and I hope that everyone got to listen to that. I always encourage you, if you have missed a Sunday, it's out there, so many places um, for you to listen to. <clears throat> It'll help you keep up with the current series. It's going to be a pretty linear series for the next several weeks, but the premise is that we're going to be looking at different places where God or believers um, were givers and the impact that that had on our story. And we looked specifically last week at Abraham and how God came to him and gave him a vision that he would make of him a great nation. And the problem was that Abraham obviously was married to a wife that was barren. And we talked about how she was introduced by her malady, that it was like, hey, this is Sarah, she's barren, would you like to meet her, you know, and, and how terrible it would be to no, be known for your deficiency, to be known for something that you couldn't control. And in our culture today, you'd certainly be canceled if you said that. Um, and so, so here this woman was, and before God ever met him, he knew that there was a problem. Long before Sarah even knew there was a problem with Sarah, God knew there was a problem, and that God comes and he has a promise that is able to solve that problem. And so Abraham leaves and goes to, out of Ur of the Chaldees and starts on the pursuit of God's promise. And that's where we're going to pick up the story today. Before we get really rolling, I always like to set you guys up with some kind of big macro thought in a, in a simplistic way, and we always kind of wade into the waters together. And, and so today we're going to be talking about Back to Bethel. That's going to be my sermon title. I was going to call it Circle Back, um, but we're going to call it Back to Bethel. And, and as I was thinking about going back to Bethel, and we'll see Abraham uh, made a little journey, a little jaunt uh, down to Egypt, and then he was coming back up um, to Bethel. And, and I thought, man, there are some things, and especially the older you get. Now, it, this is true at every time of life, but there's certain things that you get older that they're kind of nostalgic. Would you guys agree that the older you get, the more you're kind of nostalgic? Like, for instance, my mom, and this is so much of a different generation, um, I'd say out of five nights during the week, my mom worked a uh, factory job, my dad was an accountant, and um, five nights a week, I'd say four of the five nights a week, my mom got home and cooked a meal. And um, that's not true in today's generation, would you say? No? Probably not. Um, and so I remember one of my favorite was fried pork chops. And she would, she would brown these potatoes where they were kind of crunchy but still soft in the middle. It had like a, almost like a hash brown type of vibe to them. And that was like my favorite meal growing up. And if I ever went to someone's house and out came like this beautiful golden brown fried pork chop with these little hard but yet soft potatoes, I would, I'd probably have a little tear, right? It's like, thank you, mom, I miss you, all right? And so it's like there are certain things that just transport us, right? We, we, could be, we could be having a bad day and all of a sudden like a song come on and all of a sudden it, it transports us, right? It could lift our spirits. It reminds us of a, of a later time. We can go to our hometown. And, you know, if you haven't been to your hometown in a while and you were like, had the ability to go by that house that you grew up in, this is something about, you know, that's my high school, that's my whatever. It's something about the nostalgic moments as we get older that can bring us this kind of odd comfort. And um, I'm going to reveal to you guys something. Every now and then I want to reveal to you something about your staff. Um, every year, uh, for the last probably five years, we do a staff retreat. We all go and we get away and we kind of set the vision, set the tone, do some planning, do some workshops, and it's over like a two, three-day period. But every year, um, we, we have a karaoke night. We do. We do. And we we play our favorite songs, and boy, I'm going to tell you, it is interesting, right? 
when someone's favorite song comes on, I mean, you get a reaction. You do. I mean, it's like someone could be sitting there flatlining and all of a sudden their song comes on and like, woo, you know. So I'm going to give you a couple. Um, this, would be, this would be a Pastor Hollis. He's our men's pastor. This would be a Pastor Hollis song. And uh, go, Garth Brooks. Hollis, he's a, he's a big country guy, and uh, one that we already just ruined, um, but you wouldn't know it. You wouldn't know it because it's Pastor Carrie. Yes, my wife, the women's pastor, but anytime Coolio, God rest his soul, comes on, Pastor Carrie gets crazy, right? So we can play it now. We'll give us five seconds. Most I live in. And the last one, now, now this surprised me because um, one of our student pastors um, has been in our church a long time. Uh, his name Pastor Derek. And Pastor Derek, uh, he's a stoic individual. Like if you meet Derek, he's like, you know, just kind of, yes, all right, yeah, we could do that. Well, he's very conscientious, but like stoic. And he is into Kesha. Yeah. Kesha. All right, that's enough. That's enough. We don't need any more. We, we went from whiskey to gangster's paradise to praying. Um, so, but this year was Derek's first staff retreat. And when that song came on, I mean, we were sitting on these picnic benches um, on the back porch of this house. And dude, Derek came up, grabbed the mic. I mean, I mean, just went, I mean, full in hard, you know. And I was like, whoa, I've never seen this side of Derek. Just put some cash on and he'll rock it, man. And so I was thinking, like, what, what, is it, what is it about those songs that appeal to us? I think they transport us, right? They transport us back to a different time. And for just a moment, we can escape the realities or the stresses or the struggles that we might be going through. And today I want to talk to you about Abraham he left Ur the Chaldees, and not soon after, there was a famine in the land. And that famine caused him to react. And he went down to Egypt. And at Egypt, there was some wild stuff that went down. He, he looked at his wife while they were on the outskirts of town. He said, babe, you, you are hot. I mean, you are incredibly good looking. And when we get into town, that's going to be bad for me because they're going to want to take you and then they might kill me. So instead of you saying that you're my wife, why don't you just say you're my sister and then this is going to work out fine. And of course, whenever we start thinking that we know better than doing it the truthful way, the honest way, maybe the God way, um, sure enough, the Pharaoh of Egypt uh, commandeered Sarah and was going to make her one of his concubines. And God, in God fashion, uh, smote the Egyptians with hemorrhoids. And so, <laughs> that happened. I feel sorry if anybody's ever been smote in this room, all right? <laughs> but, um, yeah, Pharaoh comes to Abraham is like, something is going on here, and you need to get out of Egypt. And so... He actually blesses him and like gives him stuff to carry. It was just like kind of like when the Israelites leave Egypt, he like went in a certain amount of wealthy, came out really wealthy. And um, so Abraham is heading back up. And whenever they were in this season of in Egypt, he, he was like, where, what do we need? where do we go now? You know? And he's like, you know what? We need to go back to Bethel. And that's where we're going to start reading. It says in Genesis 13, so Abram went out from Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and Lot, his nephew, um, with him into the Negev, which is kind of like the wilderness. Um, and so I wanted to ask this question to start us off. Um, have, you ever, have you ever found yourself in Egypt? Have you ever found yourself in Egypt? I, I think most of you might, might understand the uh, abstract level of my question. Have you ever had a season where you were wobbling on what you believed was true. 
or wobbling in how you were living out that truth. A season where you started blurring the lines of what you know God's word says versus how you're applying it to your life. Have you ever had a season like that? Were you, because when they went down to Egypt and he said these things, did these things, clearly wasn't within the boundaries that God had set and it almost cost him the promise and God protected the promise in spite of Abraham's disobedience. And I'm thankful that God protects us from our own selves. Amen, right? Like, as you, you know, you know, you know, like if God just let you just get it every time you were stupid, you'd be dead, right? I'd be dead. And we don't deserve the blessings of God that we get. But, but we, sometimes we, we kind of make audible command decisions that maybe aren't in the God's plan. Or maybe they went down there and that could have been in God's plan, but they could have been agents of truth instead of deception. And anytime we start with deception, a lot of times it leads to bad places. But I just wanted to ask you, have you ever had a season when you were in Egypt where the truth isn't the guiding light for your life, where you're kind of one foot in with God saying you want to follow him, but your lifestyle isn't quite you know, measuring up to what you've committed to. And I think a lot of us have seasons that are like that. We have seasons of passion for God, and then we have seasons where we kind of start to fall away. We start to get colder, and so many things can cause that. I think the pandemic caused it for a generation. For a generation, a generation of churchgoers got wiped out by COVID. And it'll take a long time for them to circle back. Um, but, but for us, it could be busyness. It could be a monetary crunch. It could be a relationship crisis. There's so many things. Sin, temptation, uh, with substitution, when we substitute good things for God things, and then we allow them to compete. And there's so many things that can just ease their way in. The sin that so easily entangles us is how... The writer of Hebrews uh, frames it. And so I just want to encourage you today that if you're going through a season where you're in Egypt, I have some good news for you. If you're not in Egypt right now, then one day I promise you, you will be so you can learn this lesson for later in life. And so after they came up out of Egypt and I almost lost everything, but by the grace of God, they kept the promise intact. Verse 2 says, now Abram, whom we know is Abraham to be, was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. And he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. To the place where he had made an altar at the first and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. First major point in today's message, circle back, circle back. Everybody say it out loud on three, one, two, three, circle back, circle back. Man, I hope you have somewhere to circle back to in your faith. Now let's get this crazy truth um, out, of the, out of the gates here. The word Bethel literally is a, it's a compound word, bath and L, and bath is house and L is God. And so it literally, he went back to the house of God. After he had been in Egypt, he went back to where his journey had began. Went back to the place where he had built an altar. He returned to the house of God. Now you'll notice that the house of God here is just a barren place. And it's just waiting for it to be populated by worshipers of that God. Now, let's transpose that. Not so difficult, is it? Where could, where could what, what in the New Testament, what is the vibe? What is the house of God, right? You're sitting in a house of God. Man, whenever you go through Egypt, some of you, you went through Egypt this week. That's why you're here. Let's just get it straight. I mean, this is honest, right? Some of you are visiting our church today because you've been in Egypt, right? And whenever we're in Egypt and all of a sudden everything starts breaking down, everything starts breaking loose, there's a storm, we begin to wobble too much and we start to feel it's out of control. Man, I can't tell you a better place to go. Then the house of God, that's where I'd be if I wanted to have a place to set my feet on a firm foundation on the rock of Gibraltar, the rock of Jesus Christ that cannot be shaken. I would say 
return to the house of God. Isn't it incredible that he had somewhere to return to? You see, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is what or where do you turn to? Where do you turn to when you're going through a season of struggle? Because I think we all have things that we return to. And if we didn't lay the foundation first of God, if we don't have a pattern of pursuit after God, we are tempted to return to old ways instead of God ways. You better have something God to circle back to, right? Imagine, imagine if you aren't raising your children in church and they go through a season of struggle. When they go through their Egypt and they don't have a place to circle back to. Imagine you didn't have the pattern in the marriage that you grew up under. That whenever mom and dad fight, whenever they struggle, they always find strength in the church. They always head to church and there's something about being in that worship service and hearing that sermon that oddly is soothing to the soul because we're returning back to the house of God, back to where we began our relationship with God, back to where our relationship with God can be strengthened and renewed and refreshed. With a the little flame that is about to go, it is flickering just one more little breeze is going to take you out and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit of God comes whooshing in as he's capable of doing and that little spark that little tiny spark is fanned into a flame and that's returning to the house of God and the church said amen what do you circle back to mmm mmm I just was thinking about that, and if you do a kind of a long-term study of the word Bethel, what you'll find is Abraham has Isaac, and Isaac, we don't see any interaction with this place of Bethel, because Isaac, for all intents and purposes, was a good child. He was a good one, but you have enough children. Yeah, you have more than one. You're going to have one that is not a good child, okay? That's the one you're going to have to extra prayer, okay? It's the one you call people and like, I had a day, right? I just can't. I don't know. I don't know. He's just like his father. I'm sure my wife has told people about me and my children. You know, there's some irony that Rebecca was also unable to conceive. And Isaac had to go and petition the Lord so that she could conceive. And I wonder where he learned. I wonder where he learned that God could do those types of things. I wonder if he, I wonder if he had a father's faith that he could circle back to whenever he found he was in the same struggle that his, his father had. And then Rebecca had Jacob and Esau. <laughs> if it doesn't hit in the primary generation, when you get to the grandchildren, one is going to be like you, right? We know. We know the curse. It's going to happen. There's going to be a little Tim grandchild someday. <laughs> running around, being deceptive. Yes, it's going to happen. And Jacob was that grandchild. Jacob stole everything from his brother who was the much bigger, stronger, and in their day and age, you know, killing your brother might not be as frowned upon as it is in today's culture. And he finally made Esau mad enough that it was going down, right? And he had to run. He had to, like in the middle of the night, his mom's like, get out, he's going to kill you. He gathers up like a knapsack and heads off into the dark. And this isn't like you going down to Plano, okay? This is like you're in the desert. Like there's things that can kill you. There's people that can kill you and you are on your own. There's not a cell phone. There's not a geo GPS. Like what? No, on your own. And he finds himself that night 
as he lays his head down, what is the irony level that he would end up in Bethel? What is that? What is that? What is that? What is the chances of that for all my skeptics, for all my atheists in the room? You know, I'm not saying it validates that there is a God. I'm just saying, what are the odds that when he would end up in the same? This isn't a major metropolis. This is just a, a stop. This is like a stack of rocks out in the middle of the dirt. And he ends up in the same place that his grandfather called upon the name of the Lord, has an encounter with God and commits to him for the rest of his life. If you'll bless me, God, I will bless you back. I will establish 10% of my income to you for the rest of forever. Because God, if you get me out of this, then I'll know that you are God. Now, I know we don't want to believe that we have a prayer system that says, God, if you do this, I'll do this. But, hey, let's get real. Some of you sitting here, you've made that deal with God. God, if you can get me out of this, then I will. And then he got you out. Did you? Did you? On his way out, he was at Bethel. After he runs around, manages to get two wives that he had to work for for 14 years, One's enough for me. He's <laughs> upset his uncle to the point that he knows he needs to get out of town because he's kind of taking advantage of him. And on his way back, he has to make a deal with his uncle that if I ever come back up there, you can kill me. And I don't know what price. You, like, you're in deep Egypt. If you've got to like, make a deal that says, if I cross this line, my father-in-law will kill me. Okay? And so he makes a deal with him. And then Esau is on his way coming from the other direction, and he's got to make a deal with him, and he believes 100% that Esau is going to kill him. God intervenes. His brother forgives him, and then he goes and settles. So on the way out, he stopped in Bethel, and guess where God told him to go to on his way back in to be in reconciled and in right relationship with his family and with God? He said, head over to Bethel, make an altar. Man, don't you need to have some place to circle back to? More importantly, shouldn't we be creating a place that people can circle back to? Because Abraham laid the foundation of the altar. His grandson in his darkest hour had a place to circle back to. And what are we building here? We're building a place that generations will be able to circle back to. We're building a place where people that are lost and far from God, that are wandering through Egypt, that if they happen to wander through those doors, guess what? There's going to be an altar here. There's going to be a worship experience here. There's going to be a word that goes out from here that is able to save their soul for all of eternity. I would just ask you, if God has allowed you to circle back, to renew the promise, even when you wobbled and wandered off to Egypt and you have received that renewal and that refreshment, don't you owe it? Don't you owe it to others to provide that same source of refinement, refreshment, renewal? I just want to encourage you, encourage you. How are you pouring in to others? out of what God has poured in to you. Circle back, baby. And then it says, there was this guy named Lot, and we haven't talked a lot about Lot. For the second part of the sermon, we need to understand relationships along the way that, you know, I would love to tell you that every good brother and sister is going to be a good brother and sister in the Lord. But if you've been in church any amount of time, we got just as much sinning that goes on in here as there is that goes on out there. Amen? I mean, let's just be honest, right? We don't come to church because there's not any sinners in here, all right? And like, let me take that argument away from the skeptic. Like, well, I could be just as good as Christian at my house as you can be down there. No, you can't. No, you can't. It's not that the people down there ever claim that they're better. If you do, then shame on you. You're wrong. We don't come to church because we're good. We come to church because we're not. And so if you're ever surprised that sinners go to church, then you don't even have it right to begin with. The guy standing on this stage right now, sinner, sinner. I promise you, I promise you, you'd be like, I, don't, I can't believe he's a pastor. He's such a sinner, right? <laughs> I promise you, if you hung out with me and left, you'd, you'd, I guarantee you at some juncture, you'd be like, well, he's a pastor, you know? 
I'm not a perfect man. I'm a sinner. We don't come to church in here because we're perfect. We come in here to worship the one who is perfect. You understand? This is not the house of Tim. This is the house of God. Don't ever get it twisted. Don't set me up to be your role model. I'm here to point you to the role model. The role model is Jesus. So Abraham had a nephew, and that nephew was traveling around with him. And we're going to set the bar a little bit later on, but the relationship was very interesting. Actually, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to set it up before. Um, Lot's, Lot's the nephew, but his dad died. And so Abraham, being the gracious uncle that he was, was like, you know, I don't have a son so I'm, I'll, I'll take care of my brother. I'm, and I'm sure as this relationship develops, it's, it's like, you know, it's like the son he never had, right? It's like the son he didn't have. So when he left his father's house, he took Lot with him. And Lot is constantly being blessed as a result of being connected to Abraham. And so... I don't know if you've ever lost someone, but it's, a, it's kind of a weird thing that sometimes God will give you, I guess, what I would call substitutes. Substitutes for the family that you didn't have. Brothers and sisters, father figures, maybe even sometimes children, grandchildren figures that you didn't have. It's weird. I'm telling you, it's weird the way that God does it. But here is Lot, and Lot's that guy for Abraham. So even though Abraham's been given the promise, it's 20 years between when he leaves Ur of the Chaldees and when he finally has Isaac. And so for all intents and purposes, here's Isaac is, is the Surrey. It's like, a, it's like a substitute son. Till I have my son, you know, at least I got Lot here, right? And so as we read through this, I just wanted you to understand the relationship level before this disagreement goes down. And then... I'm betting that most of us that have lived very much life have had some family squabbles. And if you haven't, then you will. And um, I hope you'll learn and I hope you'll listen right here. It says, Now Lot, who was moving about with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents. But the land could not support them while they stayed together, for their possessions were so great. just want you to tuck that away. That they've been blessed beyond what they can get along. They've been blessed more than what they can get along. It's like, I don't know, have you ever seen people that were happier with less money? Anybody ever? I might preach today. Oh, I might preach to this crowd today. Oh, man, I, I just might give a little bit of a sermon today. See, it'll get quiet. whenever I get close, it gets quiet. Just watch this. Just watch this. Mm, mm. Blessed beyond what they could get along about. Mm, 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 mm. My homeboy Tom can't figure it out with Giselle. Seven times Super Bowl winner with his supermodel. Fairy book, right? Like if you wrote a story and it had a king and a queen and they got together and made perfect children, lived perfect lives. Oh, you would, you would think it was made up. Guy wins seven Super Bowls and marries a supermodel. That's crazy. Blessed beyond anything they ever could imagine. At the pinnacle. The pinnacle. Somehow. Somehow, having more didn't cause them to be able to make it. Sometimes maybe more is not the solution. Sometimes maybe less might be a good option. For their possessions were so great that they were not able to stay together. And the quarreling arose between Abraham's herders and Lot's. So their shepherds were arguing. Abraham and Lot were not arguing. But their employees 
We're arguing. So Abram said to Lot, let's not have any quarreling between you and me or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. Is not the whole land before you? Let's part company. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, then I will go to the left. Now, given the structure and the history of the relationship do you think that, if you were going to weigh it out, like, do you think that Lot should have got first choice here? No. See, like, where would Lot be without Abraham? What value do you have on loyalty? What value do we place on the elders of our communities? I see these young jack wagons all the time. Some elderly person trying to open the door. They just sit there and watch. Shame on you. I was raised that you help people that need help. I'm going to be there. I feel like not so long. <laughs> not so long from now. And if I see one of these teenagers around here not open the door for Pastor Tim when he's caning it in here, I might have to whack somebody is all I'm trying to say. In the name of Jesus, bam! <laughs> Don't you think that Lot owed his life to Abraham and now he's going to get to pick what's best? And surely he's going to defer? Before we read the next verse, surely he's going to, no, 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 Abraham, whatever you want, whatever you want, Abraham, selfish, selfish. Mm, makes me mad. Lot looked around and saw the whole plain of the Jordan towards Zoar was well watered. Like the garden of the Lord. That's Eden. That's perfect. It's like if there was ever a piece of farmland that ever existed that could produce wealth beyond imagination after you're already Wealthy as a result of your connection to Abraham. And he sees it. And surely he's going to say, Uncle, for you have taken me in. And I have been blessed so much, me and my family. After I've seen the best place, I would like to give you that. As a gift of honor and respect and loyalty. Nope. Little punk. He sees it, and he says, I choose that. And it, there's a little note there in parentheses. Just, just a little one, you know. This was before <laughs> the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't it amazing? Like Moses, when he's writing this in retrospect, <laughs> includes this little tidbit of foreshadowing, of foreboding. Like, this decision is not going to go well. He moved to the place that we know God is going to wipe out with uh, fireballs from the sky. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived... Sorry, my note's a little scrambled there. <clears throat> Abraham lived in the land of Canaan while Lot lived among the cities of the plain and pitched his tent near Sodom. Now the people of Sodom were wicked and were sinning greatly against the Lord. I want you to see a pattern. Disagreements, right, unchecked, lead to division. And division, unchecked, leads to divorce. We think of divorce between a husband and a wife, but there's a lot of ways we can divorce things, right? A lot of ways. I think I found it most fascinating that the problem that Abram had was not with Lot. And I just started thinking, do people ever take on other people's problems 
and make their problems my problems. And it hasn't ever cost you something because you took on someone else's problem and made it your problem when it wasn't your problem to begin with and you were in charge and you could have brought a different solution. For instance, um, what if I told you the thought process was there wasn't enough, right? There wasn't enough land to support the herders, right? That was the, that was the primary uh, premise that was, that was offered of why we need to have separation. But they had enough right up until they disagreed, right? But after they disagreed, what was enough now became not enough. And then they separated. And after they separated, there appeared to be enough. So there was enough in proximity to them. But right where they were at, there wasn't enough. And so there wasn't enough because they had too much. And the thought never crossed Lot's mind. It says the, what was the, the, there were two tribes that were around them of people. There's the Perizzites, I think. Canaanites. And the Perizzites, somebody, Ites, somewhere in there? Yeah, 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 up there. Canaanites and Perizzites, right? Do you think it might have been wise if there wasn't enough? Could they have sold some of their cows? You, you ever thought about that? Do you, think, do you think he could have, like, let some of his employees go? Some of his herders go? Some of the ones they were arguing? I bet if you let one of the herders go that was complaining, it might make the other ones not complain. I'm trying to help somebody in here today. The culture that you tolerate is the culture you create. And the church said, amen. Why are you having some of the family problems that you're having? Is it because of what you're tolerating? I know so many marriages that struggle because of all these problems with peripheral family members. You know why? Because they won't set a boundary. They won't draw a line in the sand. They won't say, the marriage comes first. Above all others, the marriage comes first. They won't say it out loud. Trying to people please mommy and daddy. I don't want them to reject me. If they're making you choose between your husband and them, your wife and them, I'm going to tell you, that should be an easy decision to make. When you committed till death do you part, that's the one you chose. And that's the one you back. We let these little disagreements turn into division. And then that division, unchecked, always leads to divorce. Always leads to an ending of a relationship. And because we have the end of the story... Lot thought, Lot thought he was choosing the easy place, right? To him, that looked like, oh, that's the lottery. I win the lottery. I get that. But that lottery was next to evil. And somehow when he chose the easy, it was next to the evil. And the evil got on him instead of his light getting on that darkness. And if you read the end of Lot's story, which will not be in this series, he lost everything. Everything. He lost all that he had gained with Abraham because of his decision to separate. It's amazing how these pivotal, pivotal decisions and most of you are in the prime age of making pivotal decisions. And if you're choosing more, always, for the sake of more, do you think it's possible that more could be the enemy of God's best for your life? Has it ever occurred to you that more without God's blessing is not more? That more without God's blessing is a trap. That more without God's blessing is a temptation. And that in the end, I'm going to prove it to you. I'm going to prove it to you. That you'd rather have the favor of God than what appears to be easy without faith. Without the umbrella of blessing on your life. Man, I hope today 
if someone's on the verge of making a choice and the only thing that's telling you to make the choice is more, that you might circle back. Circle back and get God's opinion on it. I would put it under the microscope of prayer and say, God, is this your will for my life or is this my want for my life? Man, I got to hurry. I got to hurry because I got more. Verse 14, it says, Then the Lord said to Abraham, After Lot had parted from him. Okay? Just get it in your mind. Like, there's like a dust cloud because when you're driving a herd, right, it creates this dust cloud out there. You can just imagine, like, there's, a, there's a thousands of animals. That makes a noise when they move, okay? There's, there's a whole herd, there's a whole group of people, a whole caravan moving out. And here is Abraham in an elevated spot and Lot, it all... For, for all of our imagination, is not out of sight. He's not even gone yet. I mean, he's gone, but he's still in sight. And God says, look around from where you are, which was just where Lot was. You get this? They had a discussion, Lot left. Abraham's still standing there. Oh. Look around from where you are, to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the land, all the land you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. Could he see to where Lot was going? Yes. Yes. Everything that you can see, Abraham, it's going to be yours and your offspring forever. I will make you You make your offspring like the dust of the earth so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go walk through the length and the breadth of the land for I am giving it to you. What can I tell you this morning? Bind yourself to the blessing. Bind yourself to the... If I had to give up anything to be bound to the blessing of God, I have to choose. I have to choose to let go. Just like Job, whenever God took from him or allowed the enemy to take, however you want to look at it, he said, the Lord has given, the Lord has taken away, but what? Blessed be the name of the Lord. Are you willing to lose in order to be bound to the blessing, believing that God is able to still bless you greater than those who might try to take advantage of you? That he could let Lot make the choice. Listen, it didn't matter if Lot chose right or left because the blessing wasn't on Lot. The blessing was on Abraham. It doesn't matter what they do to you. You think if they do this, oh, that's going to be terrible for you. But what if the blessing is on you? It doesn't matter. Give them the choice. Hey, you choose A, I choose B. You choose B, I'll choose A. Because the blessing is on me. If you're sitting in truth, if you're walking in truth, if you're pursuing in promise, wouldn't that be incredible this morning if you've been wandering, wobbling down in Egypt? And you returned to the house of God this morning and he gave you clarity. Man, wouldn't that be incredible if you said, I can stand on the table of truth and know no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Wouldn't that be incredible? Wouldn't it be awesome if you knew you could walk into the valley and the giant is out there mocking you and you're standing there with a sling and a stone and you know that the outcome is already decided before you even get there because it's not your strength that's going to win, that you could stand in front of the walls of Jericho and lift up your voice and somehow God could bring the impenetrable wall down to the ground in an instant. What if we walked in faith like that, believing that the power is not in us, It never has been. It never will be. The power is in God. The power is in His Word. Some of you need to circle back this morning. Circle back to the altar of God. Circle back to the altar of truth. What's amazing is God had already given in the vision, I'll make a great nation out of you. Now He multiplies it and says, just like the dust... We know eventually he's going to say stars in the sky. God is constantly trying to give the vision. Now set up the 
dichotomy in your mind, okay? Make it real easy for you. <laughs> Abraham said to Lot, you choose. You go east, I'll go west. You go west, I'll go east. And Lot went with his sight. Your sight is only able to see what you can see. This sounds simple. But vision allows you to see what you can't see. Now you tell me, would it be better to walk by sight or with the vision of God? Have you ever listened to God even when your sight told you something different? Have you ever listened to God? Because sometimes your sight will tell you, man, that looks really good. But the vision in you is like, don't touch it. Don't do it. Don't do it. I mean, oh, that, look at that house. I'd love to have that. And your vision's like, no, don't do it. That job, oh, look at the vacation day. Look at the bonus. Look at the, what? Oh, don't do it. Don't do it. More is not more without God's, let's just all say it. More is not more without God's blessing. I'm gonna give you a chance. One, two, three. More is not more without God's blessing. Abraham took from the naked eye, if you were a person judging who won the deal, you were shark tank, and you were saying, who got the better deal there? You'd say, Lot got the better deal there. But if you got to stretch it out over the next 20, 40, 100 years, you'd say, Abraham got the better deal. Your sight would tell you one thing, but vision would tell you something different. I just want to know, man, what are you living by? Are you living by sight? Or are you living by vision? Because if you're living by vision... There's some things in front of you that are coming your way that you can't see. But if you had the vision from God and you were praying about it, he will impose upon you decisions, discernment that will allow you to prepare for things you cannot see. He says, I'm going to expand the vision and what does he tell him to do? Walk. He's like, is that so cool? It's like, look, north. And like, you can see Abraham. He's like, look north. Okay, north. Yeah. Uh, look west. Okay, west. Okay. Look east. Okay, east. Uh, south. Okay, south. All right. Okay, now I got it. There's the vision. Everything you see, it's yours. Now go walk it, son. Whew. And he wasn't walking it. Sometimes people say walking it to claim it. He said, it's already yours. He said, I want you to know that what you're walking in is yours. He said, there's a connection between your footprints and your future. Dude, let me blow your, hey, hey look, if I'm only preaching this for me, then I'm going to enjoy this sermon. But if you're not enjoying this sermon, I'm going to tell you what, that's on you, okay? Because I'm going to wind it up right here at the end, and I don't know if you're catching it, but it might be for me. He said, north, south, east, west, which, what, what? Is that every direction? Is, that a, is there any direction that's not north, south, east, west? No. If you're walking in the vision, it doesn't matter where you're going. Your footprints are blessed because you're in the vision. Guess what? Lot, it doesn't matter where you're walking. If you're not walking in the vision, then it doesn't matter where you're walking. So what matters is what's the difference between Lot and Abraham? He went east, and God said, Abraham, I'm giving you east. You see what I'm saying? Like, but Lot wasn't in the vision because he wasn't bound to the blessing because at some point he started thinking it was him and it wasn't Abraham. Wouldn't it be terrible if you walked in here and worship was coming down, the word was going out, and somehow you walked out of here and said, oh, that's about me, that you brought that blessing inside of God's house, that somehow this Christianity stuff, it's about you. Instead of being about God, you need to bind yourself to the blessing. Bind yourself to the house of God. You need to circle back to the truth that you know is real. Circle back to serving God with all your heart, with all your mind, that your worship is real, that it is passionate, that it is coming from the toes of your feet to the tip of your head. That's real worship. That's whenever you're under the blessing of God. But if you're just wobbling this morning, and you're just wandering this morning, and this is a checkbox. You think God deserves a checkbox? 
Man, if you know God that brought you out of your Egypt every time you've done stupid things, saved you in spite of yourself, and gave you grace, that God is worthy of our worship. I hope today you'll make a choice. You got it right now. It's Abraham or Lot. You're either in or you're out of the vision of God this morning. And we can change if you're out. Circle back. Let's pray. Father, we ask in the name of Jesus, God help us. God help the marriage that is wobbling and wandering, God. Guided by more. What a mess. I pray for my lots in the room this morning that they would turn back, God. Turn back. If that means they got to let all of the herd go and just be a servant to Abraham. I'd rather be bound to the blessing. I'd rather, be I'd rather lose everything and be bound to the blessing. I think the Apostle Paul said that. Didn't he say that? That I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might know him and the power of the resurrection. Man, do you want to know him? This morning, is he worth everything? Because if the God you serve isn't worth everything, then he's not worth anything. Let's move beyond lip service. The love that you want in your life, I promise you, you want unconditional love. And I just wonder, is the love you want the love you give to God? Are you trying to make deals? <laughs> You're trying to look at where's best for you. Oh, I'm going to take that land out now. You say, God, I give it all to you. And if you give anything back, I'll just say thank you. And we're going to give you an opportunity to worship. And I pray today that your worship might be a little bit different as a result of you choosing the blessing of God this morning. Would you stand and worship with us?